service. On behalf of Miss Gwen and the whole Carlisle family, I want to thank each of you for being here today. And though today is a difficult day, the scripture gives us promise. In Psalms 46, 1 through 3, the scripture says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and swell. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, the Bible says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today we gather to celebrate the life of a man who lived well. A man who impacted many. A man who was a light in a dark world. It's proper to celebrate such a life well lived. And so we are honored that you are here today to celebrate. Today will be a day of stories, a day of sharing, a day of reminiscing, a day of rejoicing, and a day of crying. And so should it be. When our hearts and lives are touched in such a powerful way, our lives should be marked in a way that we cannot forget what touched us. And today in this place, Lauren Carlisle is a man who cannot be forgotten. And so I'd like to open us in prayer this morning as we start this service. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we're gathered here today to remember the precious life of Lauren Carlisle. We gather to celebrate the life that he enjoyed here on earth, and to thank you for the precious moments and memories that we've had with him. His life has touched so many in so many different ways for your honor, for your witness, and for your glory. And we pray that your peace and presence will be upon us during this time. We pray that the comfort of your Holy Spirit will be on the family and friends as they not only feel the embrace of each other, but today... Father, let them feel the embrace of who you are. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Will you stand with me in this place as our team leads us in one of the family's famous favorite hymns? How firm a foundation. We are actually going to do two hymns. We were not able to do one of them right before is Blessed Assurance, right? I believe it was one that he, he loved to, to lead. He was a worship leader, and um, we are honored to be um, celebrating his life today. So we're going to sing Blessed Assurance and then How Firm a Foundation. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story.
As we start our service this afternoon, we want to start by remembering Lauren, and who better to start by remembering Lauren than his girls? And so, I would like to invite uh, the girls to the stage. There are so many things I could tell you. <laughs> Didn't make it very far. There are so many things I could tell you about our dad, but just like he appreciated a good three-point sermon, I'll try to keep it to three highlights. Throughout his life, dad loved work. It didn't matter what kind of work he was doing, whether it was chores on the farm, mowing the yard, dedicating time at church, or in the office, he loved it. Dad would frequently make it into a game or a competition, and while we may have started the job a little begrudgingly, we were usually enjoying it by the end. Dad never looked at work as a have-to, but a get-to. These were blessings. And his get-her-done philosophy was always underlined with joy. In the end, the results may not have been perfect, but the job was accomplished. Dad was a man who didn't need vacations. He took vacations at the request of his beautiful wife, and he listened, knowing it was building memories together. 
Dad was a master multitasker, so efficient and intelligent, he was able to make decisions very quickly, get the work accomplished, so he could also foster relationships. Although Dad achieved tremendous accolades and awards through Farm Bureau, we never felt work was important than us. He was able to balance those priorities equally. Dad also adored his family. He was such a devoted father to each of us. He would comfort us in the many turmoils of some boyfriend breakup. I remember sitting in his lap on one occasion and him holding me and getting me to smile through the tears. He encouraged us, guided us with godly principles and wisdom, and was our biggest cheerleader. Dad showed up. Whether it was a volleyball game, a Bible quizzing competition, a ballet recital, um, driving seven hours to Asbury College to cheer Vani and I on for our flag football championship game, he was there. We never ever doubted his love for us. I still remember dad and mom visiting us in Illinois after we had had Michaela, and I remember him holding Michaela and turning to mom and saying, aren't we blessed? And that was just the first. He was blessed to have six more beautifully talented grandkids whom he loved dearly. I remember another time Mike and I had made a quick trip through Michigan and we had left Michaela with her other grandpa with Pop-Up in Illinois. And when we got ready to leave, dad turned to me very seriously, almost sternly, and said, now I never want to see you again without my granddaughter. <laughs> he loved each of you very, very much. Um, and then the third thing was that Dad loved the Lord and his holy word. Dad could be found each morning starting the day with a cup of coffee and his Bible. And before we were married in our own homes, having morning devotions together, usually a reading of the daily psalm or proverbs, Dad passed these valuable nuggets of wisdom to each of us throughout the years. If we were anxious, he would frequently remind us of 2 Timothy 1.7. God does not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He reminded us of God's sovereignty, that nothing passes to us without first being filtered through the loving hands of our Heavenly Father. Even as late as in the last month when Ethan started his first paid job, Dad reminded us to instill God's tithing principles from the book of Malachi. He also loved to remind the grandkids of Psalm 139, verse 5. You, God, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And he used the analogy of an Oreo cookie. Dad would say, God is like the cookie. He goes before us and he follows us and we're the good stuff in the middle. As his daughters, we feel tremendously blessed to have had to have had him in our lives, to have him as an earthly representation of a heavenly father, a dad who displayed godly characteristics of love, kindness, generosity, humility. He truly was a tangible expression of God's grace. We certainly didn't deserve him, but we're so very appreciative of the gift he was to us. So if you knew my dad well at all, you knew his love of the family farm. So growing up, every morning I remember him out in his blue truck with a bale of, or a load of hay in the back of it, and he would be honking for the cows, and uh, he would say, I, I won't say this loud in, into the microphone, he'd say, come girls, come by. 
And all the cows would immediately lift their heads and start to, you know, walk towards his voice. They knew the sound of his voice and knew that he was their provider. And I remember the way my dad would call us girls. It sounded a lot like how he called the cattle. And as a teenager, I was not fond of the analogy. I was like, no, thank you, Dad. <laughs> so along with the cattle came hay baling every summer. You could find my dad on the back of a wagon or on the tractor every single Saturday. And usually he'd have a group of big, strong guys with him out there helping him. And afterward, my dad would literally be covered in hay, like he would just be green and brown, and he would take his glasses off to, to wipe his glasses off, and I could just see the whites of his eyes. Um, but he, my dad bailed hay his whole life. He had such guns. He had big arms. He could take a hay bale and toss it up like it was weightless, filling a whole wagon by himself. He could stack it six levels or higher, throwing with such finesse that the hay bale would just land right in its proper place. One hot Saturday afternoon, Vanessa and I found ourselves on the back of a hay wagon, and my dad was on the tractor. I think that after he saw the way my sister and I drove, that he was not trusting us to tractor duty. So Vanna and I labored to pull the hay bales from the baler, dragging them across the wagon. I don't know where the boys were that day. I'm not sure. But I remember seeing a truck drive by the side of the road, and a neighbor stopped and pulled over, and he said, Lauren, it looks like you could use some help. Can I give you a hand? And my dad's reply was, thank you, but I don't need any help. I've got my girls with me today. I remember thinking, Dad, you just let that man, that very nice, helpful man, leave. He could have helped us. But I also had this feeling of such pride that we were all he needed. He didn't need any other help but his girls. As much as my dad loved the farm, his love for the Lord was far greater. It was like my dad lived with one foot on this earth and one foot stepping towards heaven. The book of Colossians says it perfectly. It says, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If you're a believer, your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. God is your life. And when Jesus comes again, you also will appear with him in glory. Well, speaking in front of a big group is definitely out of my comfort zone. Um, as Vanessa referenced uh, in 2 Timothy, Dad would always talk about that verse whenever we were nervous about anything. For God has not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I'm hanging on to those words for the next couple minutes here. <laughs> There are so many admirable characteristics that come to mind when I think of my dad. Now, he wasn't perfect, and no one is, but he was one of the good ones. He lived life honestly and with integrity. He gave generously and served joyfully. He had one of the most incredible work ethics of anyone I've ever met. 
He was quick to forgive and always looked for the best in people. He had a true gift for encouraging others. And he was so wise. Almost daily, I find myself remembering little bits of wisdom he would share. He always suggested reading a proverb a day and would say, there's 31 proverbs, one for every day of the month, and that's no coincidence. And while I could go on about the qualities that made my dad the man he was, there is one defining attribute that I would be remiss not to emphasize, and that is his resolute faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Dad truly lived his life in anticipation of heaven, so much so that in college, he even formed a traveling choir group known as the Anticipations. And a few days after he'd passed, and mom and the girls and I gathered together to grieve and plan for the week ahead, we went through his Bible to choose passages of scripture to share. And I asked my sister if dad had anything specific underlined or highlighted to kind of help guide us. And her response was, he has everything underlined. <laughs> Dad understood that whether it be through Christ's return or God first calling him to heaven, this world was not his forever home. And the temporary pain and sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the coming glory. It is because of this faith we can stand here today and declare with absolute certainty that the moment Dad's eyes closed here on earth for the very last time, they opened to eternal glory in heaven. And with his hearing restored, the voice of Jesus resonated in his ears, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Dad's faith was made sight in that moment. It is because of this faith we can grieve with hope, confident in the knowledge that dad is present with Jesus. It is because of this faith we have assurance of being reunited with him in heaven. Our own mortality isn't something that most of us think about on a regular basis, and understandably so. Day-to-day -day responsibilities like our jobs and raising kids fill our minds and busy our hearts. But a funeral tends to bring that reality to the forefront of our attention. And if you are hearing this today and feel it resonate in your spirit, if you cannot confidently say that you have put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, then I would wholeheartedly encourage you to find one of my family members or pastors after the service, and we would love to share with you the faith we have in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 states, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And even though we remember our dad as the best of the best, he would never want anyone to think he gained heaven of his own merit. The only way to heaven is by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the truly wonderful news is that God's grace is a gift, freely given to all. And at the end of our lives, the knowledge and acceptance of this gift is the most important thing. Thank you all for being here with us today. I know Dad would be so honored to have you here to share in his memory and lend us your support and to celebrate his life. <clears throat> Michael Lauren Carlisle, 74 years of age, went to his heavenly home on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. He was a beloved husband, father, Papa, brother, uncle, friend, a respected businessman, and a steadfast believer in the Savior Jesus Christ. Beloved son of Dorothy Fimple Carlisle and Marion J. Carlisle, Lauren was a lifetime resident of Cole, Michigan. He grew up on his family's centennial farm 
and attended Colton High School. Lauren excelled as an offensive and defensive guard for the football team and was an accomplished cornet player in the Colton High School band. He graduated from Greenville College, Greenville, Illinois in 1970 with a degree in social work. He then attended Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky from 1970 to 1971. He served in the Michigan National Guard for seven years. Lauren was a farmer at heart, but was employed by Michigan Farm Bureau Services in Menden, Michigan, and later by Michigan Farm Bureau Insurance, where he served as a Three Rivers agent for over 35 years. Throughout his career as a trusted insurance advisor, Lauren had a passion for serving his customers. In his role with Farm Bureau, he provided insurance for this life, and through the love of love and grace of Jesus, he offered assurances for the next life for anyone open to listen to the gospel message. Lauren married Gwen Barrett Carlisle of Cambridge, Nebraska on December 27, 1969. They welcomed twin daughters of Vanessa Ruth Carlisle West and Vonda Linnell Carlisle Bryce in March of 1974. Their family was completed with the birth of Elizabeth Dorothea Carlisle Hooley in May of 1984. Lauren is survived by his loving wife and devoted daughters, uh, Vanessa West with Michael, uh, Vonda Bryce with Eric, and Eric, uh, Elizabeth Hooley with Dan, and seven grandchildren, Michaela Ruth, Savoy Rose, Ethan Lauren, Lola Linnell, Emmeline Barrett, Truman Bryce, and Lyle Levi. Also survived by his sister, uh, Martha Jane Carlisle Rice Barton, and niece Ruth Rice, Anderson, her son, her, her husband, Philip, and their, their daughters, Hannah and Abigail, and nephew, James Rice, and his wife, Carol. He has one cousin, Carol Jean Levins Malavi, and her husband, Ed Malavi. He was preceded in death by his mother, his father, his brother-in-law, Jack Barton, and three grandchildren born into heaven. It is a comfort to the family that Lauren passed away at his farm. His love for his family farm is only surpassed by his love for his family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. And even in Lauren's passing, um, your goodness has just been um, so evident to the family. We're thankful for that. As Vanessa and Vanda and Libby shared, we're thankful for the example of Lauren's life, the example of a faithful, godly servant and most importantly, we're thankful uh, for his faith in your son, Jesus, and the hope of heaven uh, for all who believe. And I just pray um, in the prayer of, the, of us as a family is that Lauren's passing uh, will be used to glorify you, Lord. And if there's anybody here uh, today who does not know uh, Jesus as their personal Savior, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to soften their heart and to draw them uh, closer to you. We just pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. We'd like for you at this moment to enjoy a request that was made by the family. A song that speaks directly to Lauren's life. At the end of our days, no matter where we 
find ourselves or what we have accomplished. All of us long to hear those words from the Lord. Well done. Enjoy this song. Until then, I'll live to hear you say, 
like today, the influence of spiritual care in our life can be more prevalent than any other. And today, Pastor Steele is here, who's had the pleasure of walking with the Carlisle family for 50 plus years, and he's going to bring us the word in relation to who Lauren Carlisle was. And so I'll invite Pastor Steele to come. Well, I was handed an assignment right out of the chute. And the assignment was to preach from Proverbs chapter 3, the first 12 verses. And our theme for this afternoon is a faithful man. I must tell you, that was probably the easiest sermon I've ever put together in my life. And as you can tell, I've been at this for a while. Uh, but it is a sheer delight, and I would say to Gwen, and all of the family, it's an absolute honor and a privilege for me to be here. Uh, for some of you that may not know, uh, I was Lauren's pastor back in the early 70s. We were all young. We were all skinny. And some of us back then actually did have hair. Now, Lauren fared a whole lot better than that, at that than I did. Uh, he maintained his hair right up until the time God called him home to glory. But obviously, I have not been so fortunate. So this afternoon, we're going to focus on this passage from Proverbs, the third chapter. And if some of you have your Bibles or your cell phones and you'd like to track with us through that passage, that would be... That would be very permissible. Um, it's sort of interesting because back in the day when Lauren and Gwen and Dave Taylor is here today, he flew up yesterday from Florida. Miriam and I flew up yesterday from Florida uh, to be here for this celebration service. But back in the day, we were all young and just starting our families and uh, my wife and I ended up being cross-cultural missionaries down in Brazil and then from there to Portugal. And by the way, we've got some Brazilians over here. Bem-vindos. Nós vamos conversar depois, tá? I told them they are welcome, and we're going to talk after this service is over. And, uh, but anyway, uh, we spent time in Brazil and then in Portugal as missionaries. And for the past 16 years... I have been working in East Africa in a country called Mozambique, uh, working with an unreached people group called the Makua 
people. And now we're spilling over into another people group called the Yao. And it's been an exciting journey. But the thing that amazes me, Gwen, is how we've all stayed connected. That Menden crew, we've just stayed connected all of these years. And, uh, and what a privilege that is. And it's just a privilege and an honor, as I said earlier, uh, to be here, be here. So I've reflected on Lauren's life and reflected on my own life. Here are some observations that I would make. Lauren and I were very close in age. But for the record, I'm his elder by two years, the elder brother. We were both raised on a farm. We both liked the color green on that farm. It had to be John Deere, just so you know. We both had a profound love for football. And I know what Lauren would be doing Tomorrow night, he'd be watching a Super Bowl. And uh, how exciting would that be? Uh, he played guard on his football team, and I played guard on my football team. I went to a huge high school in Mishawaka, Indiana. So I, uh, I did not fare as well as he did. He was a star here in Colvin, just so you know. He was a really good football player. And amazingly, he stayed with the Lions through thick and thin. I mean, he's got to be enjoying the splendor of heaven in the light of, in the light of some of the sad uh, defeats that the Lions have had in recent years. We both married farm girls, and both of them were school teachers. Similarities. Mine came from a farm in southwestern Michigan, and Gwen came from out there almost to McCook, Nebraska, which by the way, Gwen, I met Miss Nebraska in a McDonald's in McCook when I was out there speaking in churches on a missions tour. Can you believe that? What a small world we live in, and uh, just amazing, just amazing. So we both married farm girls and school teachers. We both have three kids. We both have artificial joints. Uh, Lauren had a double hip replacement. I had a left knee replacement. Both of us were, have become, in later life at least, have become just a little too sweet. For some of you don't don't know what that means, we're type 2 diabetics. And last but not least, we both suffered from hearing loss and have hearing aids. But honestly, when it came to politics, when it came to values, and when it came to theology, we were tight. And we have remained tight all of these years. Four years ago, about this time, we were celebrating Lauren's 70th birthday down in Sebring, Florida. And Gwen, or did Gwen or Carol do this? I'm not sure. The, the cake. Who asked for the cake? We went and got it from that Cuban bakery. And they made a cake that was absolutely fantastic to look at. But they had dark food dye in the icing. 
And so David Carroll Taylor and Lauren and Gwen and Miriam and I, we were eating that cake and having a good time, and all of a sudden we paused and start, started looking at one another's lips and tongue. And tongues. I mean, it was, it was comical. And that picture popped up yesterday on Facebook for me. The first three chapters of Proverbs highlight the acquisition of wisdom. And I think you understand this afternoon that knowledge and wisdom are two different, two different things. I know some people who are, their brains are just flooded with knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. Matter of fact, I had a guy in college who was a theology prof who had a PhD. But man, to listen to him was sheer torture. He couldn't teach or preach his way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, it was just awful. And uh, I think you would agree with me this afternoon that Lauren was a man who was very knowledgeable in a variety of things, but he was also a man of profound wisdom. And Libby alluded to that. Wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that is supernatural. Uh, a few years back, I had been to some preaching gig up by, up by Grand Rapids, and on a Sunday afternoon, I was making my way down 69, headed back to Fort Wayne, where we were living at the time. And in the process, uh, I decided to give Lauren a call. I said, hey, I'm zooming down 69, going to be going through cold water about supper time. Are you? And he said, hey, listen, we'll meet you over there. They have an Applebee's, and we'll go. So we went to the Applebee's. And I was talking all about East Africa and some of the great victories that God had given us and all excited and enthused. And Lauren was sitting there, yes, and asking certain questions. And it was all good. And then it came time to leave. He paid for the bill, obviously. That was Lauren. And we walked out through the parking lot, and he pulled me aside. He said, Gerald, uh, if you ever see, this is wisdom now, he said, if you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know that that turtle did not get there by itself. And I did a kind of a deer in the headlights response. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, I knew exactly what he was talking about. That when it comes to ministry, obviously God had been giving us some tremendous victories in Mozambique. But we were a team. And Lauren was a part of that team. He was a heavily, heavy contributor to that team. And it was one of the best lessons I think I have ever learned in my life to be appreciative for the team and teamwork. Well, the road of faithfulness, which is our theme, is laid out by certain stop signs. And I think I see those stop signs in this passage of Scripture this afternoon from Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to take a quick look at these stop signs. Verses 1 and 2 of Proverbs 3. Forget not. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. As the girls have indicated, Lauren was a man of the book, the Bible. And on a daily basis... He studied and read that Bible. I mean, I can see him in that chair with that Bible on his lap. 
And when it came time to, to teach a Sunday school class or preach a sermon, the man was always very well prepared. But he lived the Bible as well as teaching it and preaching it. Verses 3 and 4. Let not. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. And Lorne was a man of great mercy and a man who had a profound appreciation for the truth. Verses 5 and 6. Trust and lean not. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. That's my life's verses, by the way. And Lauren discovered that he, he could really trust in God, and he did. He had a profound personal faith and relationship with Jesus. But he did not lean on his own understanding. He leaned on God's understanding. Verses 7 and 8, faint not. The Bible says he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. And obviously, God had stored up for Lauren wisdom. And so consequently, he did not faint in life's journey. Verses 9 and 10, honor and hoard not. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Lauren is one of the most charitable men I've ever been around in my entire life. And I wouldn't want to embarrass him or his family, but it's just true. He was a giver and felt that God had prospered him so he in turn could invest in ministry. And uh, he obviously helped us in a variety of ways. But he honored the Lord with his possessions. And the end result of all of that was his barns were filled with plenty and his vats were overflowing. Lastly, verses 11 and 12, reject not. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction for whom the Lord loves he corrects just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. I will be candid to tell you, I look at Lauren, and I didn't see any flaws, or not many anyway. And uh, he's just an amazing man of God. But I'm sure that on some occasions, Lauren and the Lord had little confrontations. And I'm sure he would tell you today that... Uh, that the Lord's discipline was not a bad thing in his life, and it's not a bad thing in your life. Forget not, let not, trust and lean not, faint not, honor and hoard not, and reject not. I think that uh, describes the life of Lauren and the fact that uh, he did not blow through any of these stop signs 
You did not blow through them. I would like to share a word with the family as you guys look into the immediate future. I'm sure there's a certain amount of anxiety and maybe even fear. I mean, after all, the patriarch is gone. He's gone to be with the Lord. And uh, that speaks of a certain amount of, of uncertainty. We don't quite know what's around the bend with all of this. But let me tell you that God will graciously uphold you. Uh, back in 2020, in the month of March, I found myself in Mozambique when some wild things began to happen at the beginning of a pandemic. Matter of fact, my flight was canceled back to the United States, and for a while I wondered whether or not I was even going to get back home. In the midst of all of that, God gave me a word. My last sermon in Mozambique, I was on my way to the airport, and a pastor had invited me to preach, and I preached at his church. We had to take a totally different flight because South African air had, had gone belly up, and they shut everything down. It was just a, uh, it was just a complicated time. And so I was on the way to, to the airport to catch a flight back to Johannesburg, South Africa, and from there a Turkish air flight to Istanbul, from Istanbul to JFK. And uh, as I preached the sermon that morning, God gave me a word on the life of Gideon. Some of you remember that story of Gideon? Gideon, like Lauren, was a farmer. And the narrative begins with Gideon down in a wine press threshing his wheat. Now, typically in Israel, you would thresh your wheat on top of a hill. You would beat it out so the wind could carry the chaff away. But that wasn't the case at all because Gideon was afraid of the Midianites. And the Midianites were an, an enemy nation, and they were coming in with raiding parties, coming in with raiding parties to cash in on all the crops and carry them away to steal them. And so here is Gideon, the man of God, the farmer, down in a wine press, threshing his wheat. He's covered with sweat. The chaff is sticking to his arms because the wind is not carrying the chaff away. And he's there in that kind of a situation when all of a sudden an angel of the Lord appears to him. Do you remember the first words out of the angel of the Lord? Oh, mighty warrior. And I'm sure Gideon was thinking at that point, me, a mighty warrior. Uh, I, you know, I'm not trying to offend you as an angel of the Lord, but it seems to me like maybe your elevator doesn't make it all the way to the top floor. I am afraid. I am down here in a wine press threshing my wheat because I'm afraid of the Midianites. And then you remember the story, how God orchestrated the rest. They were taking on a Midianite army of 120,000 people. And so Gideon put out the call, and they had a response, 32,000 Israelites were going to participate in this battle. And then God whittled it down to 10,000, and from there to 300. And God gave a strategy. In the wee hours of the morning, shortly after midnight, 300 soldiers surrounded that Midianite camp, and they had instructions. They had torches inside of clay jars. In addition to that, they had ram's horn trumpets. And Gideon said, 
listen, when I give the command, you break the pitchers, the torches are going to flare up, and then you sound the trumpets, and then you sound, you sound the command, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And that's precisely what happened. The Midianites in deep sleep, they awakened to the, 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 all of the noise of clay jars that were breaking and looked out and saw the blaze. And in addition to that, they heard the sounds of the trumpets. And I'm sure they thought, man, this is an army of about 500,000 soldiers. And they took off. And they ran. And they ran. And then other Israelites joined in the chase. Matter of fact, the Midianites turned on each other. They were so frightened. And there was a tremendous loss of life. And finally, in the chase, they found one of the Midianite commanders. And you'll never guess where he was. He was in a wine press. And I read that. I had a hallelujah time. I thought, Lord, this is amazing. Absolutely amazing. The place of our greatest fear can become the place of our greatest victory. And I just want to encourage all of you who are here today. Just be reminded of that truth. Blaise Pascual, a famous French mathematician and philosopher, put it like this. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any creating thing, any created thing, but only by God the Creator may known through Jesus Christ. As we wind up our time here this afternoon, Lauren would want you to know that there's an awesome God in heaven who desires a personal relationship with every one of you. The Bible says in no uncertain terms, there's none righteous, no, not one. We, a lot of times we think about our righteousness and our goodness, but the Bible again says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. So we come to Christ with all of our brokenness, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The truth of the matter is that the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, as J.B. Phillips so eloquently paraphrased, the law is the straight edge that shows us how crooked we are. And I don't care how good you might be morally, but before God, you're crooked. I could draw a straight line on a whiteboard, but when you put a yardstick up against that straight line, you're going to see some zigzags. And that's the way it is with every human being. And the law reveals that to us, that we are indeed all sinners. And the Bible again says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So God offers to us eternal life, and Again, in Romans, we read that uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The just for the unjust. That's what, that's what Christ did. And uh, God is desirous of many, bringing many sons and daughters to glory. So, how do we get there? How do we experience what Warren experienced in terms of having a personal relationship with Christ? The answer is found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, <coughs> you 
will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask you a question this afternoon as we wind up our time together. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you invited Jesus to come into your life and to be your personal Lord and Savior? I believe uh, this platform today provides you an opportunity to do that. I'd like for you to bow your heads with me in the quietness of this moment. Well, Jesus, uh, thank you for the immensity of your grace. One of the great expressions that comes to us out of the Word of God is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I would just simply pray this afternoon if there's someone in this crowd that has never made that kind of a commitment that Lauren made many years ago to follow Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. And they would make a determination to believe and to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we ask all of this in the strong and mighty name of the Lord Jesus. I'll tell you what, I'm going to hang around after this service. And if there's somebody here today that's uh, contemplating, and we've got our pastor brother down here as well, we'll just kind of make ourselves available, okay? If you have any questions, if you'd like to talk, if you'd like to pray, we'd be more than happy to do that. God bless you all. If you're like me this afternoon and you were a friend of Lorne or anyone in the family every once in a while, you would pull up social media. You wouldn't be able to see Lorne because he would be holding sheet music as some of his grandchildren played. They didn't have a music stand and so Lorne would be their music stand. You couldn't see his face. You could see the music. And they would play. Either the violin or the bass or the cello. And I remember watching those and going, I can't see Lauren. But this afternoon, some of those granddaughters would like to pray for you, play for you some things that they played for their grandfather.
At this time, I'd like to invite Michaela and Ethan West to come for the reading of Scripture. Lauren loved the Word of God. They would like to read to you some Scripture. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Revelation three twenty through 21. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Revelation fourteen thirteen. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they are blessed indeed. For they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. Lauren's daughters had a time of remembering dad at the beginning. The family also wanted a time of remembering Lauren. And in this time, a couple of people have strategically planned to share some things given by other people. And um, after they share, we would like to spend some time, a few minutes, uh, giving others opportunity to share also. I'll remember partially uh, part of my first um, introduction to the Carlisle family was on an Easter Sunday morning, a sunrise service. Uh, Dan had been part of my discipleship group, and every Easter at sunrise service, I pick one of our young men uh, to share, to preach that particular service for us. And I never let them know until a few weeks before. And so Dan found out when the rest of the church found out one Sunday morning that he would be preaching the sunrise service. And he had just begun dating Libby. And I'll never forget Libby's testimony. She came to church that Sunday morning. And um, she told me in our time together as we were getting ready for their wedding, she said, Pastor Don, that Sunday morning when I came and heard Dan preach the gospel, especially sharing on the resurrection of Christ, that's when I knew I would marry him. That was her testimony to me. I knew that day... He was going to be my husband. Now, don't know if Dan knew that day. But from what I understand from the Carlisle girls, it didn't matter what he knew that day. He was getting married. And they have been a faithful supporter. It was shortly after that that I got to meet Lauren and Miss Gwynn. And from time to time, they would come to church here and worship with us. And they never failed to leave here until they encouraged me. They hung around, they stood and said, Pastor Don, keep up the good work. 
We're praying for you. We're supporting you. We believe in what God is doing here. And I'll never forget as a young man in the Lord, a young pastor trying to lead, those words at the end of a service are always the most encouraging words. That someone would hang around just to say, well done. Uh, Most folks hang around to say other things to pastors after church. Not the Carlisles. Mr. Lauren in particular was always so encouraging to me. I remember that about him. I'll never forget that. I rarely forget those who are encouraging. And I do my best to forget those who aren't. (laughs) I can appreciate that man and his family for all of their kindness and support over the years. Bless you today. Thank you for your encouragement. I want to invite Ruth Anderson to the stage to come and share something given by Martha Barton. My mother asked me to share some thoughts she had about her brother, and afterwards I'll share a few thoughts of my own. So this is from my mom. Lauren was my only sibling and six years younger. He would follow me and my friends around, and I would get cross and say, go away. I regretted these words as we grew older, but then he started teasing me mercilessly. I guess it was called payback time. We became close friends in later years when I returned from South Africa and lived just down the road from him. He was one of the few men I could trust in business and in his Christian walk with our Lord Jesus. We never ended a visit or a phone call without saying, I love you. Now he waits for me in heaven where I can't wait to go. Please tell Jack hello for me, dear brother. I love you, your sister, Martha. And here are a few of my thoughts. As Uncle Lauren's niece, I admired his integrity, hard work ethic, and can-do attitude. Difficulties were simply challenges to overcome, traits he and Aunt Gwen have passed on to their girls. He was also warm and a great giver of big hugs, reassuring the recipient of his presence and support. No one can know him either without using the word generous that has come up several times. I saw this in good times, such as when he quietly surprised both my mother with central air conditioning, which, by the way, she never found out from him, but through the installer, in her home, and my husband with a deer cart, this after already allowing him local access to woods, woods therapy, otherwise known as hunting. I also benefited from his generosity in difficult times, such as when he answered my frantic call for help to get to Lansing to see my mother-in-law in the hospital shortly before she died, shortly before her death after a massive heart attack. Selfishly, I grieve Uncle Lorne's absence in my world. The loss of someone I knew was in my corner, even as I rejoice in the knowledge that he is enjoying his heavenly home free from the pains of this life. Thanks, Uncle Lauren. We love you and we'll miss you. Now I'd like to invite Tim Taylor uh, to the stage to come and share something given by David.
So this is something my dad wrote for his dear friend. We all know that Lauren was a good in business, but my friend was also a copycat. Jesus tried to please all men, Lauren did too. Jesus loves us all, and Lauren did too. When Jesus set a goal, he did not waver, and Lauren didn't either. With Jesus, no one was a stranger for long, with Lauren also. Jesus looked for ways to help, and Lauren did too. Jesus had a sense of humor, and Lauren did too. Jesus was a true friend to others, Lauren was also. Jesus gave of himself, and Lauren did too. Jesus thought of those who followed, and Lauren did too. Jesus knew the word of God and followed, and Lauren did too. Jesus ascended into a heaven, and Lauren did too. Now they are face to face. Let's take a minute or two. If someone is here who would like to share, we'd like to invite you to come. We'll invite you to come and speak into the mic. We are live streaming uh, so that those who are watching in Nebraska can hear. How do you talk about someone that's been a part of your life for as long as it has for me? I grew up across the field. And like it's been said before, Lauren was a man that worked his father worked and as a little boy going to the fence and watching him go by in the old John Deere 730 tractor whether it was disking or bailing I couldn't look forward to when I could be out there with them. When I was 13, my mom took me down to Marion's to ask for a job. Marion looked at me, granted Lauren being the insurance man wasn't quite fully operational in the farm. But his father was very astounded to the rules of hiring children. And Marion looked at me and he goes, Chris, you got to come back when you're 15. I can't hire you because <laughs> I can't insure you. <laughs> so I came back 
And Lauren had a thing. Maybe the girls didn't know this, but Lauren did not look for employees. If people didn't see him mowing hay or raking hay and realizing that he needed guys to load the wagons or unload, he wasn't going to ask for it. And um, every year I'd have to go down and ask. I looked up some verses because with me and Lauren, a lot of our conversations, whether it was on the wagon or on the tractor, usually our days went like this. Chris, we got to get this field mowed. I need these fields raked. At 2 o'clock, all my stuff is done. I'll come in. We'll start bailing at 2.30. Usually you'll see his car flying down the road, just, just hauling, running into the house. And as fast as he could get in the house, he was out the house wearing his hay clothes. Down to Martha's he would go because that's where the tractor and baler were set up. And I'd hop on the fender with him. And as you all know, a lot of Lauren's classic uh, wisdom was given to you on that tractor, on that wagon. But sitting on the fender, he would slap your knee, just, and he'd give you some wisdom. And we would drive down to the field, and we'd start bailing. And Lauren was all about production, whether it was insurance, whether it was hay, whether it was kings and, their, and how many bushels per acre they were getting. It was all about getting the best out of everything you could do. But he always said, Chris, the first 10% goes to God. I often would ask him why he didn't farm all by himself. I mean, why, why run out? You, you've got the land. And he had a very biblical reasons. 10% goes to God. 10% is what you live on. 80% goes back to the business. And if you can't live on the 10%, then you shouldn't be doing it. So... I want to read Ecclesiastes 3, because this is Lauren. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up which is planted, which if you know Lauren, he knew exactly when things need to be harvested. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I will miss my friend. I'm so happy I was there for his birthday at dawn's. He won't be missed.
someone else. If we all said what we wanted to say about Lauren, we'd still be here at dark. <laughs> How can you have a good friend that you only see about once a year for a few minutes for 35 years? But I had one with Lauren. What a wonderful man. I was looking at pictures last night, and there's a picture of Gwen sitting next to Gwen as myself. Lauren must have taken the picture because I have a koala bear in my lap, and Gwen's petting the koala bear. <laughs> my son and I were talking about Lauren last night, and he and I uh, farm together and have another business. And every once in a while, you have a tough decision you have to make when you're in business. And typically, he would look at me and say, Dad, why don't we do what smart guys would do? Let's pretend we're smart guys, and we'll do what smart people do. And we've decided to change that will say, what would Lauren do? And one thing Lauren shared with me is that he thought his daughters, which he loved, un just unending, made quite good choices in life. Thank you, brother. Amen. Nothing blesses a father more than when his daughters make good decisions even if the husbands are yet to learn it when they make it. <clears throat> we have given Dan Hooley grief to no end, for sure. Someone else. I can't believe I'm up here, but <laughs> yeah. so my heart's pounding, and I just thought I had to say something because Lauren, your dad, had just impacted my life for a very long time, and um, so I think of Lauren as Barnabas, a son of encouragement, and throughout my life, and I remember the hay wagons and the baler, and that's where Greg and I met. And, and your dad just blessed me and encouraged me throughout my life. And, he, and later, as an adult, he would just say things. And I, at the time, didn't know it was words of wisdom, but now, reflecting, it was. And he just blessed me by saying, God has a plan for you. And I know he, he has. And I just want to share, in 2014, God revived my faith. And I asked Lauren to um, participate in my baptism. And just a huge blessing, my dad passed away. And just, I just remember that season, Gwen was, had health challenges going on. And so even though life wasn't perfect for Lauren, he still had time to bless me by participating in my rebaptism. So I just thank you for your dad, his life, and, and the impact he has had on me. Thank you. 
I was supposed to be the first one on the mic, but I wasn't sure that was going to happen. But anyway, Chris struggled through, so I can do it. I'll throw, maybe I'll tell the funny ones first. Uh, anything funny I can think of to keep it light. I did have to loosen the tie a little. Uh, we did retire the suit. With, sorry, we did retire the suit uh, with Lauren. Uh, we got a former farm underwriter here was talking the other day about him remembering. You know, Lauren, right in the farm, I mean, anywhere, if it was insurance, he had the suit and tie on, and it didn't matter, it didn't matter where it was, and so the, uh, the suit and tie has been, has been retired at the office, which he didn't seem to mind um, since that was done when he was living, but, oh, he did love the Word of God. Uh, I once heard in a sermon, uh, the pastor said um, that a Bible that looks like it's falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't, and... Uh, you know, if you look at Lauren's Bible, which we've got, uh, all the pages and the cover are all uh, worn out. You would never think Lauren would be, think of Lauren as being late to church. I wouldn't have either. It was only in the last week that Gwen was saying that, well, this was retirement Lauren, not working Lauren, apparently, right? Um, that she, uh, he would get up and have his coffee, and he would already be reading his Bible, and she'd have to get on him like, Lauren, it's time to go to church, that he would actually get a little lost in time there. Uh, reading his Bible, and so that doesn't sound quite like the Lauren I know at all to not be, you know, 15 minutes early. I learned quickly in the office. We worked three years together. He then retired nine. Um, <clears throat> I learned quickly that if he said, hey, this farm appointment we're going to go on, I'll introduce you to some folks, whatever. Uh, let's pull out at 11. It didn't take long to learn. That meant 1045. I didn't know that. At, I didn't know that at first. I remember sitting in my office and had some had some papers spread out and was looking at the clock, and he rolls in about about 15 minutes before he said, and so I learned that whatever he said, it didn't really it didn't really mean that. Um, it was a little before that, actually. <clears throat> I do uh, know we at least got some family in the room. I haven't seen everyone who came in, but um, Denny uh, Shoemaker and we were out there. This is February. Uh, 2011. I had to look in the system to see the other day when that was that was put into place because I do remember telling Renee. I said, "Well, I'm pretty sure I do remember it being quite cold." Um, Lauren was enjoying these merging years when he was in the office and I was working with him because we went over there and the conversation with Denny must have gone, "Yeah, come on over and take a look at my insurance." And so he brings me along, and uh, so it is. It was. I looked in the system. It was it was the first week of February because I remember being outside and uh, we had, you know, a measuring wheel that you can walk and measure buildings and measure the house and get pictures and all the things the insurance company wants to know before something happens to anything. And so uh, Lauren's like, yep, you, uh, yep, we'll get everything measured up and get some photos and he and Denny head on inside and I can see him in the window at the kitchen table having coffee. <laughs> I do remember there being snow on the ground. I can't remember how much. It's kind of an art to roll a measuring wheel in snow. You kind of you learn to roll it along the vinyl siding of the house or whatever you have to do when there's like drifts and things, but I do, I don't think he actually lifted his cup like this at me as he looked out the window, but <laughs> I do, I do remember him, I do remember him smiling through the window as I was out there trekking around as a new agent in my $14.99 uh, Walmart rubber boots that were freezing my feet. I was able to upgrade to some muck boots at some point, but in the early days, it was uh, whatever was on sale and cheap. Um, I do want those of you in the room that know that 
if you told me to tell Lauren hello, I probably did. Um, I would got to the point, especially uh, in the last, you know, five or more years, I would leave people's houses, leave the office, they'd leave the office, and I would either shoot him a text or I would just pick up the phone because well, we were both getting older, so I knew that if I didn't do it right away that it probably wasn't going to happen. Um, so I know even recently, just people giving, sending him birthday wishes, you know, I passed those along. Uh, one of our clients who's in his early, early to mid, early 90s, I think, told him I was going to meet Lauren for his birthday, and, and he said, how old is he? And I was like, he's going to be 74. And he said, is that all? And so I passed that along to Lauren as we had breakfast in town on his birthday, and so he got a, he got a chuckle out of that, uh, that he thought just 74 was kind of a young guy. But um, <clears throat> we did catch Lauren quite a bit with it being his birthday on a Tuesday. Uh, he passed on Thursday. That, that worked out. I know they were, he and Gwen were up in Grand Rapids uh, area for uh, um, one of Vonda's kids was playing up there, made it to States for playing her violin, and so they got to go up and uh, to the Voss Center, I think it was, and listen, listen to them on Saturday. Everybody we met for Lauren's birthday was Tuesday. Dan's just one week later, so we met for lunch after church on Sunday. Uh, went back to our house for some cake and ice cream after on Sunday. Tuesday morning, I pushed an appointment, texted a client, said, hey, can I push that uh, 30 minutes? Um, that'll let me squeeze in another appointment just before you, and that appointment was Lauren for breakfast and Colin there for his birthday. I had to take a call, but I could hear when I stepped away that they had stuck a candle on a waffle, I think, because I was making a stink about him, like, yeah, I'm here with the birthday boy, which he never would have said. Um, so I was making sure it was known, and I heard him, as Chris mentioned, he was there, and um, yeah, they sung happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to him. Uh, he and Gwen caught Ethan's uh, uh, basketball game later that day. I happened to mention to Michaela, hey, why don't you slip over? I told her about time. I was like, that'll be about half time, and you can tell Papa happy birthday, and I didn't know, Dan, you, you and the boys caught him Wednesday morning. The next day, when they, they were coming through town and saw Lauren's truck at its usual place for some breakfast. So I thought, I said since then, because that was the bad weather, the snow came Wednesday, schools, schools were closed Wednesday, um, you know, into Thursday. I'm sorry, there wasn't a time limit on this, was there? Okay, <laughs> I didn't ask. <laughs> um, yeah, I always said that the theory was I thought that breakfast gravy was going to kill him, but... The restaurant was closed Thursday, and that's the day he passed. So maybe the breakfast gravy was keeping him alive. I, my, my, my theory is all is all, it's all a mess now. Um, so, um, yeah, one more insurance piece. There's one piece of language, and anyone in here who's got Farm Bureau insurance, uh, there's a clause that declines damage to your home by a raccoon. I know we've got a claims adjuster in here. We do call that in the office the Lauren Clause because, you know, and, and, you know, rats and mice and insects, those things are typically excluded. So when Orkin's telling you about their guarantee, they're telling the truth, that's not covered by the insurance. But years ago, before I was there, the a client's a claim was denied because of raccoon damage. So Lauren went to the DNR and uh, got information to prove that raccoons actually from the bear family. They're not vermin. Because um, it was denied based on that. And got the claim paid. Because uh, it said at the time it only said, you know, vermin, and they aren't. And so we like to call that the Lauren Clause in your contract now. So um, I guess shoot the raccoon. I don't know what the moral of the story there is. But, um, yeah, and lastly, the last notes I just had in here is uh, 
Well, Chris was right. Lauren got the most out of everybody, but I think, but out of himself as well. He t told the stories that was before me. Um, he really wasn't doing cash crops, corn and beans when I came along. It was the, he had the cows and I bailed plenty of hay. Um, I know Dan bailed hay elsewhere, not with Lauren. Eric and I thought he should buy back the equipment uh, when he was dating Libby. We thought it was kind of a rite of passage to go bail hay with Lauren <clears throat> to marry one of his daughters. Um, 